pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. 水煮肉片. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome back for another amazing episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has its name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if they've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around a table, and even which ingredients are overrated and underrated and much more. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and all the platforms you have access to. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes and follow the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david martins. Also, I want to mention that some interviews were recorded in a different microphone, so sometimes if the interview has a different audio, that's the reason. I hope you enjoy listening to every episode and don't forget I'm Portuguese, so if something doesn't sound exactly right, just smile and pretend that you understand. My guest today has his doctorate in food, anthropology, and communication science, and he's a firm believer we have to change the way we purchase and consume water. Creator and publisher of Fine Waters, a website that is the voice for water connoisseurs and their lifestyle. In his website, you have all the information that you need about waters, and you can even sign up for a water sommelier course. In 2006, he wrote the book Fine Water, a connoisseur guide to the world's most distinctive bottled waters. And according to him, water is not just water. Michael Masha, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank and you. it's my favorite topic. I love to talk about water. So two important questions. Have you ever been to Portugal? Yes, many times. And I have to say it's one of my favorite countries. And I didn't pay you to say that. So thank you. It's, it's really, I really mean it because it's number one, it's the food. The food is absolutely fantastic. And it's also a little known country, so to speak. It's not on, on the radar screen of many people, which makes the people there very friendly, very warm. It's, I had some amazing times there. And we have some amazing waters from Portugal. That's true. And do you know any Portuguese words? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not very good with other languages. I'm originally from Austria, so I'm happy I mastered the English language. But okay. <laughs> much it. It's okay. So, Michael, when was the last time you had tap water? Probably yesterday. Okay. So I want to make sure people understand. So about in 2002, there was a day I didn't feel very well. I went to, the, to my doctor, and the doctor told me that I could either live or continue, continue drinking alcohol, and especially wine. So it was a tough decision because I had 500 bottles in my wine collection. But with the help of my wife, I think I made the right decision and eliminated the alcohol from my life. Okay. And when I did that, there was something missing from the table. It wasn't so much the alcohol getting drunk. What was missing was this engagement. You know, I always cared about food deeply. You care about wine deeply because you want to share the wine. You want to explore things. You want to have new experiences. And that new experiences with a beverage was gone. So I looked at the other bottle that was still left on the table. And this was the bottled water bottle. And I told myself, can I do the same thing? I know about wine. Can I do that? 
with water. So that's kind of the, the approach where I'm coming from. And I enjoy water as a natural product coming from a real source having terroir. But that doesn't mean I'm opposed to tap water. I'm originally from Austria, Vienna. We have fantastic tap water. Every time I go there, I drink tap water. So it's not bottled water versus tap water. What I'm opposed to very much is processed water that's sold in bottle. It's also called bottled water. But what it usually is, it's a municipal source water that's in the middle of the city and it's filled into plastic bottle and it's called smart water, Aquafina, Tanzani, Nestle Pure Life. So it looks like bottled water, but it's a totally different product. And as a chef, you know the difference between a natural product and a highly processed product. So I had tap water yesterday and I was actually cooking my, my pasta in the, in the tap water. Okay, perfect. When you tell people that you are a water connoisseur, do you ever get strange looks? Uh, or what's the first thing that people say? Well, right now they say, really cool. This is really cool. And that's why I'm talking to you. Exactly. Because people have adopted the idea. But let me tell you, in 2002, things were very, very different. You know, for the first six years, basically, people were just laughing. Saying, this is the stupidest idea. Water is just water. And then it slowly started to come in that the idea that what is that natural product that we need to take care of not only of the food and the wine in the restaurant, but also look at the water in the restaurant. I think it's a totally overlooked fact, especially in the restaurant. It can be a revenue center, but for some reason, restaurants uh, neglect it. I have some ideas why they do it, but I'm not entirely sure why it's still maintaining this kind of attitude in a restaurant. Okay. So you, you talk already a little bit how this interest started, right? So, you know, for health reasons. And so, so after that, how did you come about to have all this research and the creation of fine waters? So the idea of fine waters was first, it was my personal exploration. It was me trying to figure out what to do with my curiosity about water and how to, how basically to satisfy my thirst for gaining knowledge about a, a natural product. And I did this for, you know, more than a year. It was really very hard to get different waters. I had water tasting with my friends. So we, started to build what later would become fine waters. And after years, so people said, Michael, you have a tremendous knowledge here. Maybe other people might be interested in. And I said, okay, let's try it. And we started fine waters. I had some background in technology. So we started the website, fine waters. And I just wanted to share my enthusiasm with other people. And, you know, it took a while, but it has taken off now. And we have now water sommeliers trained through the Fine Water Academy around the world. Mm -hmm. I'm training now a water sommelier in South Africa and one in Bhutan at the same time. We oh. are on training. So I think it's fantastic. And you can see this whole idea of water being not just water has been fully adopted right now. What's the biggest misconception about a water sommelier that people might have? I think the biggest misconception is that you have to be a sommelier to taste the difference between waters. And what we're trying to tell people is you need to pay attention. I can do a water tasting. I, I pick three, four waters from here behind my, my shelf here. I give you a water tasting and you will immediately notice how different waters are. But usually people are not curious. They don't taste different waters at the same time in, in a flight. And I think that gives them the impression you need to be a water sommelier to understand this. It's not rocket science. It's fairly easy. Everyone can taste the, the difference between the waters. and the important thing is that you notice it's, it's a natural product and not the processed product that other 
brands sell you, which is not bottled water. It just looks like bottled water. Mm -hmm. How can you convince someone to buy water that is more expensive instead of buying, imagine, a pack of 32 bottles of water for $3? How can you convince someone that say, okay, this is not just water? So that's easy. It's a good question, but it's also very surprisingly easy to answer. Number one is... um, it's really about experiences. Remember, we, I'm coming from wine. My approach is like wine. So the same thing would be, how could you convince someone to buy a bottle of wine when you can get a very cheap vodka that you put in the freezer and you get drunk by taking two shots? Why, why are you paying $12 for a bottle of wine? It's much more than getting drunk. So the water I'm talking about clearly is for hydration, but it's not the only purpose to hydration. The other purpose is to have an experience, engage with the water, having a natural product, understanding where the water is coming from. What source is it? Is it spring water? Is it rainwater? Does it come from a glacier? Is it artesian water? Which country does it come from? So there are lots of lots of things that can add to your experience. And why you shouldn't buy the 32 bottles for $3 is it is basically most likely tap water. It's tap water that comes into a factory in your city, is filled into plastic bottle, and you basically carry home from the supermarket in plastic, in PET, something that you already have in your house, which is tap water. And again, if you don't like the taste of your tap water, some areas don't have very good tap water, buy a water filter. If you have tap water and a water filter, you have the same product that you take home from the supermarket. Only thing is that you have saved 32 PET bottles that not end up in the ocean. So it's a whole experience, like you were mentioning, right? It's uh, very similar to wine. But do you think it's possible to reach more and more people to have that experience? or try to convince more and more people that it's not just water? Yeah, and we, we, we're doing this. And again, your podcast will contribute to the idea that you know, people will look different at, into water. And I think what's happening with the experience is it's not elitist. It doesn't mean you have to pay $10, $20, or $50 for a bottle of water. It's just when you look at the water, buy something that comes from a real source. And... It's very similar. You, you told me you're a chef, so you understand a person comes to your restaurant not because they're hungry. They come there to have an experience. And the experience could be a food experience, an enjoyable evening with friends, you know, meeting someone, all those kind of things. So what you do as a chef has very little to do with you know, filling people with calories. It has more to do giving people an experience around food and wine. And I'm telling you and your audience that you can do the same thing with water, adding water to that experience. Which countries produce the best water? So the good thing is there's no best water. Okay. This is akin to asking uh, which country produces the best wine. Oh, that's Portugal. I can answer that for you. No, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine, yes. (laughs) There's no, no answer to this best thing. And I think it's a fallacy to run after the best because the beauty in wine is there's so many different experiences to be had. You know, are you drinking alone at home at night or are you having a party with friends? You know, are you meeting the girls of your dream or are you depressed at home? So there's so many different wines, so many different experiences you can have with wine. And I'm telling you, you can have the same thing with water. But you really cannot have, because, you know, you want wine, for instance, a lot of people praise the French wine and, you know, Portuguese wine is good as well, but, you know, French wine or California wines, but there's, is not like a region you can mention in the part of the world that will have better waters or no? No, because for, for water, geography and especially geology is destiny so that means you can define regions but those regions do not overlap with you know where countries are established okay 
for water, it's really what is the source of water? You know, most people know spring water. So it really depends where does the spring come from? How long has the water been in underground? Because water is a universal solvent. So whatever it comes in touch with, it dissolves it. So if a water is only for a year in the ground, let's say there's some snow in the, in the Italian Alps, a year later, the water comes out of the spring, the water will be very light. It has absorbed very little minerals. There's sometimes the water is in the ground for a couple of thousand years. The water will have absorbed more minerals. So this is where the water becomes its terror, not so much from the, what we call the countries, but from the, from the geography and from, from the source. In a broad way, with different types of water that exist. A couple of parameters how you could uh, classify waters. And one of the main parameters is uh, minerality. That is, how much minerals are in the water. And this starts, if you think about rain, and there are some areas where people bottle rainwater, like in Tasmania, very clean air, people bottle rainwater. It has a very low mineral content, because if you think about it, the water actually has never touched the earth. You know, it gets collected before it touches the earth there's still maybe 5 to 15 uh, milligrams per liter in TDS. And TDS stands for total dissolved solids. And that's the amount of minerals in the water. So rainwater is very light. If you think about iceberg water, it's also very light because what is iceberg water? It's basically rainwater that fell 10,000 years ago and has been ice ever since. But the mineral content is the same. So those waters are very light. And from this moment on, the TDS or the minerality moves up depending on how much minerals the water absorbs. So the thing that most people drink, for example, in the US would be below 100 milligrams per liter. This is what we would consider water. In Europe, people enjoy in most countries a much higher mineral content, 1,000, 1,200, 3,000. You have in, in Portugal, the, the beautiful brand of Bedras, which has 2,800 milligrams of TDS. So it's much, much substantial. And if you move into special areas, you have waters that have a mineral content of up to 8,000 TDS. If you compare this continuum now, it's a continuum. It doesn't break. It's a mm-hmm. continuum. But you could put a very crisp white wine on the, on the left side, and you can put a very heavy, bold, oaky red wine on the right side, and you would get the idea how different waters are from the left to the right based on the mineral content. Okay. The other criteria is... Is the water still or does it have, does it have bubbles? So the mm-hmm. idea is still or sparkling. And we are so used to thinking sparkling is sparkling. But if you start looking, not every water has the same carbonation level as Perrier. If you know Pedras or if you have Vidago from Portugal, you notice the bubbles are much smaller and softer. Even Vidago, the bubbles are even softer than this. So there's also a range from still water, Something we call effervescent, where there's the feeling there's almost no bubbles there. Badois and Ferrarelli would be classic examples of, of such a water. Two on the, on the very right side, it would be um, the classic Perrier. When you drink it, you have a firewood aroma. So that's another classification. Important to notice with the carbonation is that 99.9% of the waters you drink artificially carbonated meaning the carbonation is infused, is a still water at the source and carbonation is injected. They're very rare waters. And again, Portugal, very lucky. You have petrol. It's naturally carbonated. There's some volcanic activity below the aquifer. There's a fault line and the water is sucked very, very deep into the earth mantle. It gets carbonated and when it emerges, the bubbles are already in the water. So it's something very rare, but it has tremendous 
effect. If you open the bottle, the carbonation stays much, much long in naturally carbonated water versus artificially carbonated water. Mm -hmm. A lot of people drink purified water, right? They buy bottles of purified water. The biggest difference between purified water and spring water and which one is better and which one and why? Well, only one is good for people. The other one is good for machines. <laughs> and you can guess which one is which. So the, the natural water is good for people and for animals, you know, for, for everyone. The, the purified water is actually very bad for you. Because what purified water is, it means you take out all the minerals. And, you know, there's a very simple distillation process and it takes out most of the minerals. There's still some minerals there. There are some waters that are needed for, you know, a chip, computer chip manufacturing. They need very, very, very highly pure water. And mm -hmm. if water is very highly pure, it becomes very aggressive. Because we talked about the universal solvent. And as soon as water that's highly purified comes in touch with anything, it starts dissolving. If you would put a metal thing, a metal nail or something into a highly purified water, it would dissolve the nail. So imagine what happens to you if you drink this water. It would leach out all the minerals and trace elements from you. And it's number one, not healthy. And drinking large amounts of it could actually lead to your death because you're depleted of some of the minerals. So it's not a good idea. It's very good for your iron to put distilled water in your iron, but not for drinking. So everybody should always look for spring water when they buy water, at, at least spring water. Uh -huh. Not necessarily spring water, because spring is just one of the sources, right? We okay. have retention water, glacier water, you know. Mm -hmm. But go for a natural water, water that comes from a real place and not from a factory. Okay. Should you ever have ice with your water? <laughs> That's the hardest. The, the hardest thing in, in the U.S. is convincing people that their water shouldn't be, you know, with an ice cube. So the answer is no, because you have a natural water. Maybe even a very special water. Maybe you ordered an iceberg water. And now you put an ice cube into that water, then the ice cube is made from tap water. So you immediately have a dilution. You're completely neglecting the fact that this water is special by putting ice cubes in there, number one. Number two, if water is drunk very cold, if you just take it out of the fridge and you drink it, you actually don't taste it. So we recommend to have water when you taste it at a room or cellar temperature, but not straight out of the fridge because you lose all the character of water when you drink it too cold. Okay. Michael, let's play a little game here, if you're up for a little game. Uh, a lot of people pair dishes with wine, of course, and we're going to try here very quickly, it doesn't have to be that long, pair a few things with water in a little more general way. If to serve a salad, so people listening to it and they want to go into this adventure of try different waters, normally for a salad, what kind of water would you advise? <laughs> so there, there, may, there are, of course, as you know, many, many, many different, different salads. It's true. That's true. Yeah. So I would say if the salad has this very thick, creamy sauces, you know, I'm thinking of, um, you know, the classic Caesar salad. So most of the people will, will know that. It has this anchovies in there. It has the parmesan in there. So it has a lot of, you know, umami things mm -hmm. in there. I think the water needs to be much heavier, meaning a higher mineral content to really stand up to this, you know, onslaught of, even so it's called a salad, but it's actually the marinade that has, that gives, has the, the most of the taste. So I would take a much higher mineral content water. And I would also maybe add some small carbonation to it as an opposite if the salad would be a crispy spring salad you know with very tiny little fresh leaves you know just a very light you know 
vinaigrette with maybe some white balsamico or something, something very light. That water I just described before would be too heavy, so I would reduce it and take a much, much lighter water with a much lower mineral content, and I would also make it still, so the crispiness of the salad comes through and it doesn't interfere with the, the carbonation of the water. Perfect. Noted. I already wrote that one down. Okay, if, you wanna, if you're going to serve, for instance, a salmon, what kind of water? And if you're going to serve a beef, what kind of water normally goes with that? In a so, broad way, yes. So salmon is a good point because it's a fish, but it's a heavy fish, right? It's an oily fish. It, it has a lot of taste. It's substantial, so to speak. It's not this light, you know, effervescent kind of fish. So again, I would do something that's akin. Remember when we talked about this white to red? Mm-hmm. I would go for a burgundy in between, which is by coincidence the, the best match for the salmon anyway. But I would, again, take a water. I would do it still, especially if the, what, the fish is, is grilled. And I would do a kind of a, a medium carbonation level. And I would try to find something that has maybe a higher silica level because that makes the water a little bit kind of, gives it a little bit of a smoothness. That's one thing. If you cannot find water with a higher silica level, try something where the water has a little bit of a higher pH, you know, maybe eight, between eight and nine. Again, it gives it that velvety texture. And if you have the salmon perfectly cooked, you know, that it it really flakes nicely and it's still moist, then I think that would be the perfect match. Perfect. And how about for beef? Would you do the same? So steak, I would go up to a, you know, a Bordeaux. In the, mm-hmm. in the wine world. So again, we're moving up a little bit and we are in Portugal. So I would be very, very happy to have a, a Pedras with, with, with my beef. Again, perfectly matched. You know, the water is heavy, has some, some substance. The little bubble helps, you know, creating a little bit of a, of a, of a mouthfeel. And I think, you know, beef would be perfect with Pedras. And a perfect to pair with a perfect chocolate dessert. So chocolate is. It's an interesting concept. If we have a little bit more time, we can talk about the mm. chocolate and water concept. But with chocolate, you have basically two, two ways to go. And when I talk about chocolate, I'm talking about real chocolate, right? The dark chocolate, mm-hmm. not the, the, the sweet stuff. So for real dark chocolate, it's surprising that you could match it with some very high mineral content water. There are a couple of waters in Slovenia that have a, a mineral content of 8,000 TDS. They have uh, 1,000 milligrams or one gram of salt per liter in the water. So they're really, really heavy waters. But they're absolutely stunningly beautiful with the chocolate because they chime in into this idea of dark chocolate and salt. So this kind of combination is magical. Piece of dark chocolate, uh, a glass of Roy, uh, beautiful, beautiful combination. Correct. Okay, so uh, shifting the conversation a little bit, what was your first memory of taste? I wasn't very young. I was already in my, my 20s. And food before that, food was not really, really super important. But this whole love affair with food began when I visited my, my wife's parents that lived in a, in a small village in, not far from, from Vienna. And they just slaughtered a pig. So over there in the village, you know, people very seldom go to the supermarket to buy something. They get a pig, they slaughter it, they prepare the pig. And it was really freshly slaughtered. And the blood was collected of the pig. And it was mixed with some of the chowl, some mm-hmm. pieces of fat, and put in the oven for half an hour. And what out came is the freshest blood sausage crap, you know, you can imagine. 
and I ate that thing and my world completely changed. I thought, this is what it's all about. This is knowing exactly where your food is coming from and the quality of food you get when you know where the food is coming from. I will, will never forget it. One of the best things I ever ate in my life. The most underrated ingredient for you. In food? It, you can do food or water. You can do both. I think anchovies. Most people hate anchovies. You know, the preserved mm -hmm. anchovies. Yeah. And they think it's, it's an ugly taste. I think it's one of the, the best tastes in, in, in the world if you have really high quality anchovies. And I think people would be extremely surprised to find out, even people say they don't like anchovies, they would be very surprised to find out how much anchovies is in the food they like. Overrated ingredient. This um, whole idea of caviar, mm -hmm. I think is, is overrated. It's this kind of 1980s notion that if you're in a fine restaurant and the chef prepares something mediocre and they put a, a little bit of caviar on top, it elevates the whole thing. And I think it's, it's totally stupid. The best breakfast you can have. My favorite breakfast is in Austria and Vienna in a place called Die Meierei. And what they make, they make a, a breakfast tower with three plates on this little metal tower. And they give you about, you know, 10 to 12 different things to taste. And it's, it's an amazing thing. It's not really a breakfast. It's more of a brunch thing. Okay. It, it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. What's the strangest combination food-wise that people do it that you just cannot accept? So I eat pretty much everything. If it swims, flies, crawls, digs, or whatever, I have probably eaten it. There's one thing I've eaten but not enjoyed. All the other things I enjoy, I'm not eating it because it's strange. But there's one thing I don't enjoy so much is I travel a lot in China mm. and they have fermented tofu okay. that has been fermented for, for a long time. And I find it as a, as a taste that I cannot enjoy. I eat it because, you know, you're the banquet, you have to eat it, but I'm not really enjoying it. But I imagine it's the same when people tell me they don't like blue cheese. When they're from China, they talk, I cannot eat blue cheese. So I think it's a cultural, it's a learned thing. I haven't gotten over it. So fermented tofu would be the thing you can chase me with. Okay. So the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that's exceeded all expectations. Have you turning more chickens or breaking more dishes in your life? I think I'm more the dish breaker. But I think that breaking dishes leads to turning chickens. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> this part I call the sell your fish. So in Portugal, if someone tells you to sell your fish, that they mean to, for you to talk about yourself, talk about your, you know, what are you doing? So to wrap up here, you know, where people can find you, uh, what's hold for the future for you, next projects and all of that. So right now we... We're very excited about the acceptance of this idea that water is not just water. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to so many people around the world. Together with my partner, Martin Riese, we're now starting a consulting company. And what I would really, really like to do is get restaurants. And I hope a lot of people from restaurants listen to your podcast. Get restaurants to understand it's totally stupid to give people a glass of water for free when you can give them or sell them a bottle of nice water that gives them an experience. They will be much more happy. They will remember you for giving it to them and you can charge for it. I, I don't know why people in the restaurants are not doing this. This would be the thing I would be most proud of if I can go to a restaurant and I'm not as still or sparkling after I've been served a glass of water. 
but people give a piece of paper to me and say, those are our six waters we have, and we recommend with the first course to try this water. And people can go to your website, right? Finewaters.com. They can find all the information that they need. So, Michael, thank you. I even have to admit, I pour my water on a glass so you wouldn't judge what kind of water I'm drinking. We're having a video chat, but so I, tonight I will never tell you. It's in a nice glass. You'll never know. But thank you very much for coming. It was a pleasure. And I hope to talk with you again soon. So thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. I want to thank all of you for the comments and reviews. And for those that haven't done that, don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave a review, please. Tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. In the next episodes, I'll start a new feature called the Embassy Chef's Corner. So if you want to leave me a question or a comment, you can find me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. You can also send me an email to the longest email ever created, which is info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. See you next time. Adios.